And welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Mahi from a Center Console. I'm going to be talking to Captain Woody Dishman of Rig Right Charters out of the Swansboro area. We're going to be talking about preparation, gear, dropping versus trolling. And then we're going to finish with three rod versus five rod spread. Um, my name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the Saltwater Podcast Series. And is in this series where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask with them, ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insights, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. I'm joined in this endeavor, just as I am every episode, with Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, what's happening, man? You ready for another? You ready for another saltwater podcast series? Hey, what's up, Gary? I'm doing good, man. I'm 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 excited. I'm excited about mahi. It's my favorite. One of my favorite. When I get to go offshore, it's really fun. So I'm excited to to get excited about it to probably not get to go for a while. So <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. And the fish and the fisherman's post fishing schools, Mahi is typically one of the more popular topics we offer on the offshore side. And I think popular for good reason, you know, you like it, you know, they're electric, they put on a show, they fight, they taste, you know, colorful, all that stuff, man, you know, pretty easy to find, but not overly easy. And that's where Woody's going to help out. Yeah, man, it's going to be good. I'm excited to hear his strategy. Cause I know like, going on a boat and seeing a strategy and it was pretty cool. So to hear that different perspective is going to be pretty fun. So uh, really appreciate everybody checking it out and joining us. Uh, be sure to hit that subscribe button. I never really say that, but if you're on YouTube or listen to the podcast, hit a, hit that closest subscribe button to you. Uh, that's a good way to support the podcast and then also support our sponsors. I'm going to shout them out really quickly here. We have bland landscaping company, as you can see, if you're watching the video, they're established in 1976, so they've been around for a minute, and they have a pretty large landscaping business, and they're looking for people just like you who are quality people who want to come, work, get up early, get off early, get to work, do all those fun things, and get on the boat. So if you're looking for a new career um, or if you're looking for some landscaping needs, they can probably take care of either one of those for you. Just go to their website, blandlandscaping.com, and you can learn more about it. Um, amazing guys over there. So we really appreciate them being a sponsor. So make sure you support them uh, any way that you can. And then also, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm a fan. I love the relationship, love what they're about and hope we're doing a good job of branding what they're about to our podcast audience. Yeah, man, absolutely. And then we have, as I always say, our longest running sponsor, which we really appreciate Marine Warehouse Center. I got a little message from them and I'll be right back. Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats, we have parts, we have accessories, new trailers, we have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. There you go, Gary. That's yeah. your guys right there. They got you on the water this year. They did. Yeah, man. I mean, when this podcast when this podcast airs, my boat will be on the water. The boat is actually in the yard, going in the water tomorrow. 
But again, by the time this airs, that'll be old news. And I'll have already enjoyed my Marine Warehouse Center prepped boat for the season. When you just push that down the yard right into the water, you got to take it to the boat ramp. <laughs> yeah, I go to the boat ramp. <laughs> um, hey, Errol is trying. I I don't know. This might be the we might be nearing the end of the feature. I mean, he might be scraping. <laughs> it might be too much pressure on Terrell. Now you tend to be nicer to him, so we'll see if you continue to be nicer to him when you hear this week's jerk. And again, this is Terrell. Marine Warehouse Center, Terrell, his joke, not mine. What do you call four Spanish guys in a capsized boat? I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Cuatro Cinco. <laughs> All right. We might get canceled for that joke. Like game, is, that racist? is that a racist joke? I think so. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm just moving on. <laughs> What's the next one? What's the next segment? <laughs> a photo. A photo. All right, Gary, here we go. I'm going to give you a fish photo. Here's John Tennant caught this wahoo while trolling around the blackjack hole. There we go. I'll put that. <laughs> awesome. Good looking fish right there. So we're going to remind night, people, we're not, we don't want to belabor this point, but we are well underway with our weekly fishing reports. Again, if you are in... If you enjoy the podcast but wish you would have more in the fishing report arena, then every week Fisherman's Post has that solved. Weekly fishing reports behind a paid wall. You know, just become a member, and it's all inshore fishing reports, and we cover from North Myrtle Beach up to the Outer Banks. And we're talking to, with our top guide friends, guys that are willing to share information, be ambassadors. And so if you are wishing you had more current fishing information, information right from the source, then I urge you to go to fishermanspost.com and look at the member information for weekly fishing reports. Yeah, man, it's good. At the, at the time of us recording this, we've already recorded the first week and, and get, you know, getting ready to launch it. So it's, uh, man, really great information. And for being, you know, Gary, who's a professional fisherman, and, and me, who's not, like, I think there's stuff in there for everybody. So it's not just for people who don't know, but it's really good insight. So yeah, I, I enjoyed the content for sure. So I'm excited for it. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed tonight's content because at the conclusion of my talk with Woody, I'm coming back to you for Billy's best takeaway. That's Billy's best takeaway at the end. But right now, it's my pleasure to introduce to the podcast series for the first time, Captain Woody Dishman, rigged right charters out of the Swansboro area. Woody, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Hey, Gary. I appreciate it. I'm that? talking to a black screen. I don't know if was, there we go. There you go. I got the same thing. Okay, All right. How you doing, doing good, Woody. And again, happy to have you here. Looking forward to talking about Mahi from a center console. And that was your idea. I loved it immediately. You know, I think it's going to be a popular podcast topic because plenty of people with center consoles want to take advantage of that fishery. But before I can cut you loose and let you start sharing information, as tradition goes, you've got two questions to get through. You tell me you're ready. I'll give you question number one. Let's do it. All right. Question number one. Why should we listen to anything Woody Dishman has to say about a mahi? Well, as tradition uh, goes, I don't know that you should listen to that much of what I have to say. Um, other than the fact that I have won tournaments um, in the Mahi division and um, I've brought home a lot of fish 
uh, on charters for other people, uh, not just fish, but big fish. And uh, I enjoy doing it. Well, I tell you what, that works for me. I'm ready to go to question number two. If you're ready to go to question number two. Let's stump the chump. All right. Question number two. And I'm doing what I do sometimes. I'm playing off of your name, Woody. A name you share with a toy and toy story. One of the main toys and toy story. Woody, your trivia question. Your second question is, can you name two other toys in Toy Story? Buzz and um, I don't remember the other one's names. No. Well, you know, and I, I sort of maybe I set you to fail because I figured Buzz would be a given. I figured, man, just about everyone can pull off Buzz. That's why I asked for two. You could have said Jesse, Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, Rex, Bo Peep, Slinky Dog, Ham. But I'm giving it to you for Buzz. You came up with one out of two. That works for me. Let's talk Mahi. And let's talk about preparation, man. So when you're thinking about preparing for a center console Mahi trip, what are you thinking about? Well, the first thing I'm thinking about is how's the water look? Um, you can't go out um, like you can on a sport fisher every day in a center console. So you have to pick and choose your days uh, a little bit more when you're in a center console. Uh, after we choose those days or we have picked a day that, that's going to work uh, for everyone, I'll go ahead and, and decide. Um, I'll look a little bit more into the water and and, and I'll, I'll look at my, my chlorophyll and my sea surface temperatures and my upwellings uh, from there. Um, and, you know, everybody knows your sea surface temperatures. Um, you can get those in a, a, a myriad of ways, but uh, I utilize satfish a lot of the time. Um, it's a very quick and easy way to, to get everything in one place. Uh, and then after we get our sea surface temperatures um, narrowed down to kind of what we are looking for, and Mahi like to stay in that you know, 70, mid-70s degree water, um, not saying that it's going to be the only water that they stay in, but typically that's where they like to be. Uh, from there, I'll start looking at the chlorophyll um, and uh, make sure that I can find places where the sea surface temperatures and the chlorophyll lines are going to kind of coincide. And once you find those places, usually you'll actually find an upwelling there around, uh, especially if you're looking at the seafloor, which everyone should be doing unless they, they know exactly where everything is in their area. Um, you know, if we're going to go out to Swansboro Hole, you know, there's the rise out there. There's Yellowfin, uh, Yellowfin Hole out there. And there's just a, a lot of places where you can kind of orientate yourself to, to heading down there. All right. I definitely have some follow-up questions because you have, you have tapped on an area where I am not that learned. So I'm going to imagine a lot in the, the watchers and listeners aren't that learned. All right. So sea surface, not that crazy. I mean, everyone has sort of heard that. I'm sure it sort of plays that game. What did you say, man? 75 degree water? I'm sorry. I didn't. Yeah. Typically it, what they, what they say is 72 to 78. So I, I like to see that, that mid seventies uh, degree water. Um, and what you're looking for is a 
temperature difference in that water. Um, a lot of the time you'll be coming right along, it'll be 74, 74, 76. And that's where you kind of want to make sure that you slow the boat down and, and start looking. Um, uh, but if you're looking on an actual sea surface temperature chart, um, it's going to have that hard line of where it's going to be yellow, 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 red. And that's kind of where you want to start. Okay, man. Now talk to me more about chlorophyll. Now, I certainly know that that is becoming more popular to check that, or at least more people are doing doing the check. Do you know offhand what the equivalent is to 72 to 78? Is there a chlorophyll number or a chlorophyll range that you like? How is that? <clears throat> how is it determined that you say that's the chlorophyll I like? Well, it's it's not specifically the uh, the amount per centimeter um, that a centimeter squared that you actually want to look for. You want to look on your charts at the color change there uh, because it's not actually going to say you know, that it's got the numbers on there. Um, and the chlorophyll is, you know, the plankton that's coming up from the bottom. It's, it's uh, changing the colors of the water. You can actually see the small, um, the small plankton in the water. Um, so the denser it is in that area on your charts, it's going to show that. And then, so is there a separate source you go to for upwelling information or upwelling is basically reflected from the chlorophyll numbers because it is the upwelling that brings up the higher concentrated plankton? Actually, it's a combination of all three. What the, the sea surface temperatures, the chlorophyll and the altimetry, which is where you're either getting upwelling or a downwelling, um, all kind of coincide. So what happens is a, a warm breeze comes by and it pushes the top layer of the water more toward say the north or the east. Then what happens is a cold, the cold water has to rise from the bottom and it actually brings that nutrients up from uh, the bottom, creating a better atmosphere for the fish to breed or to feed, excuse me. So that is what, is the upwelling, which also is changing your chlorophyll and showing where you're gonna get your temperature break. Now, not always do they all happen at the same time, um, but most of the time, once you find one, you're typically gonna find the other one on your maps, but when you find all three of them and you pinpoint it exactly, now it's gonna move from day to day, but the longer it stays in that area, the more life it's going to have. Okay. No, man, I think that was a good discussion of those three. And again, I've heard them before, and I'm, I'm just imagining other people have those questions. I love that we're starting it off on a technical approach. Plus, I love the emphasis on trying to find where fish are, not just having the right lure in the boat, but you know, putting the emphasis where it needs to be on being in the right spot before we get to presentation lure and all that. How about this, though? If I were to ask you to just, you know, following that technical discussion, if I were to ask you, hey, man, you're in Swansboro in late May, early June, you're typically going out how far, how many miles or how many deep, how many feet of water typically, you know, sort of is the standard mahi trip that time of year? You're going to want to go heading toward the stream, uh, especially coming out of Swansboro. You're either heading to Big Rock or you're heading to Swansboro Hole or somewhere in between. Um, that's where you're going to find your actual stream 
uh, your Gulfstream break. Um, and sometimes it, you know, it fluctuates a little bit, but it's going to push into that, that 40 miles or it's going to, or it's going to stay out to that 50 mile range, 60 mile range. And you're going to find them anywhere in that area. I would say if you're looking for a foot of water, probably 160 to 300, sometimes even, even more. Okay. I mean, some people like to talk in feet of water more. I mean, I guess maybe that's more my King Mackerel guys like to talk in feet of water more than miles out. So I just figured I'd give you either way to answer. Man, uh, I, unless you've got something else on preparation, because, I mean, I kind of stepped in there on chlorophyll and upwelling. You know, you tell me, is there more to talk about preparation? Are we going to gear or is gear kind of linked to preparation? Well, I, I think gear is actually kind of... Uh, like part of the preparation, you got to make sure that you have the, the right gear for what you're actually going out for. Um, and the time frame that we're talking, uh, you know, in, in mid-May, I would even say early May, um, you're going to want to go after some of those gaffers. Uh, you're talking uh, any, anything in 30 to 50, even 60 pound fish. Um, and you get a hold of one of those and they're going to take some line. You're going to have a real fight on your hands. So what is the gear I'm putting on the boat? So uh, I would like to start with uh, something like a Penn International 30 wide. Um, these are great all around reels. Um, you're going to find that, that these reels right here, uh, Mahi will give you a great challenge on, but it's not like an 80 or a 70 wide where you're not going to get the challenge. It's really heavy, really bulky. Um, and things like that. You can even step down to a Shimano TLD. Um, these these right here are, are they seem to be kind of expensive. So us guys right, running around in center consoles, there's a reason that we drive center consoles. It's we don't have the, the money to go out and spend for a sport fisher to go out and buy 50 different rods to put on that sport fisher because we want to fish for different things and we have to have a rod a different rod and reel for each different thing these right here are very versatile um, they're great reels and i like to pair either one of these up with a 30 to 50 class rod uh, something in the 5.8 to 6.2 even a 6.5 range um, and roughly a uh, 50 to 65 pound uh, braid with a uh, top shot on it say um, 80 pounds for us guys that are charter fishing uh, a lot of guys like to take it down a little bit when they're tournament fishing you know there's a, a set that we have to stay below uh, from there i would make sure that i always have my my spinners on the boat um, just in case something happens and we're trolling and we got um, we come up on a patty or something and we don't have or say we're not trolling we come up on a patty we don't have our trolling gear set out yet so what we're going to do is we're going to take those spinners that have that are easier to to pitch out there and we're going to pitch some bait out i'll also take a little bit of chum with me to to, to ensure that you know i have that option as well um good uh then you know we're going to want to to know what kind of hooks we're going to run um for those spinners, we're going to run something like a trocar. Obviously, these are these are um, seven knots. I like anything from a five to a seven knot hook. Uh, when I 
uh, am dropping over top of some of those fish. And uh, it just creates um, that, that hook set that you're really looking for in the side of the jaw. You got to keep tension on it the whole time, but uh, they, uh, they, they, they're going to stay. And if it's a small fish, you're going to be able to release it safely without anything happening to it. If we're trolling, I definitely want to make sure that I got uh, a must-add. These are the uh, 7691 stainless steels. Um, these are the only hooks that I would go with if um, I was trolling. Um, I, I just they, they stay sharp. They're they're great hooks. Um, then I would start going into what's North Carolina named for when when it comes to trolling. Everybody has to have one or 10 or 100 of these on the boat. And that's your, your sea witches. Your sea witches is what catches fish around here in, in North Carolina. Um, I don't know what it is, but you, you go on anybody's boat and everybody has 100 of them. And they do their job. They catch the fish. Um, some of the smaller things that I like to go with are these small plugs, uh, like this one here from Fathom. Um, they track very well and you always run with uh, meat behind it um, say your ballyhoo or or um you know your uh, cigar minnow or, or whatever that you're actually going to use my choice is is ballyhoo nine times out of ten all right man and so I know we could go on with gear, and I don't want to put you in a position to state the obvious, but I'm going to ask one more question about gear. And again, I'm not trying to get you to state the obvious. You know, you need a gaff. I mean, there's any number of laundry items that you would want to have for a day of offshore fishing. Is there anything in particular, though, that you have found that is like, you know, not necessarily someone's thinking about, but it certainly can make a mahi trip easier, more productive, more successful, more safe, or anything like that? Anything that you have on the boat that might not be obvious to someone else? Yes, always take a link back to uh, civilization, whether it be one of your EPIRBs or something like that. Um, it is, it's very crucial that you always have a link just in case something happens. Um, your batteries go down or something like that. You, you need an external link to, to get some help. Man, fair enough. I'm glad I asked you to set you up for that. <laughs> so next in our notes, we have Dropping versus trolling, here's my thought. Like, talk to me about dropping, and then when we transition to trolling, I guess when we're talking trolling is when you're going to talk to me about a three-rod or a five or a five-plus-rod spread. So with your permission, we'll start talking about dropping? Oh, yeah, yeah, I would love to. Um, so using the scenario that, that uh, we went over a few moments ago, uh, if we're out 30 miles or 40 miles and we're on our way to the stream, we're going to catch the big gaffers today. What we want to do is we always want to be prepared just in case because you run up on these on these floaters or you run up on um, a patty or a weed line that's not quite long enough to actually let's let's get out four or five rods and, and, and troll. Uh, let's jump on the gunnel, have one person jump on the gunnel and hang on while we're trolling nice and slow and just look through under like underneath whatever that is floating see what you can find underneath that patty if there's bait if there's life anything if you see that flash of of blue or yellow underneath there 
stop the boat. Grab a couple lines, maybe a handful of chum, three or four pieces of chum, and, and throw them off in there and see what you get. A lot of the time, you're going to either have bar jacks, you're going to have mahi, you're going to have barracudas, you're going to have wahoo, you're going to have a, mid, a, a myriad of all kinds of different fish under there. That life is prevalent underneath these, uh, underneath these floaters. And uh, it's just, it's part of the life cycle. So, so go ahead. So what I would, what I would want to do is I would want to pull up that area. Um, and I would use something if, if we did see, uh, say a mahi, um, I want to drop a couple of rods or a couple of lines in the water, um, say with a whole squid, you know, it doesn't have to be a big squid, maybe a four to six inch piece of squid. Um, drop it down there, leave it for a couple of minutes. If it takes a couple of minutes, then the fish are either not interested or they're not going, they're not there. So once you get a bait out like a squid, anything is around, it's going to, it's going to eat that because they, you know, the fish out here just love it. So uh, once you get one fish on, if you do catch a mahi, you want to leave that fish in the water, especially if, you know, if it's a small one, let's say five pounds, seven pounds, you want to leave that fish in the water because where these small um, balers or peanuts, as, as some people call them, uh, they kind of travel in packs and you want to keep one in the water because it's showing that, hey, everything's okay. The food's still here. And then you drop a couple more lines. Now with that first fish, as soon as a second fish gets hooked and you know he's hooked well, you bring the first one in unless the second one is bigger. You don't want to, you don't want to keep a five pound fish when you have a 20 pound fish on the line. I mean, at least I don't, I want to, I want to bring in that, that big trophy fish for the day, every day. So we always want to, you know, make sure that there's no uh, sinkers on the line. All you're doing is just letting the bell go and just free lining that, that bait out to those fish. And so there's, it's really just a hook and bait. There's no weight on it, and it is just freelining it out. You're just sort of trying to pitch it and then let it sort of float down natural? Yes. As natural as can be is the best way to, to uh, let that boat or that, let that bait float down. And your top bait for dropping is squid by far? Oh, yes, by far. Um, now, if you do use live bait, um, because we do use uh, live bait sometimes, um, you're talking like Manhaden, um, mullet. Manhaden around here does very well, uh, but finding them early May is, is your problem. So later on in, in the summer is when you're going to start finding those um, a lot more around uh, inshore um, and then take them out with you. But uh, by far, I would take uh, a frozen, uh, small frozen squid over any any other thing and then just to make sure because i was a little confused like are we putting out a four to six piece four to six inch piece of squid on every rod that we're pitch baiting or is that like your first pitch bait just to like test to see if anyone's home <clears throat> well what i'm going to do is i'm going to take a couple of pieces of, of you always carry chum on the boat or you ha you have someone that can cut up a couple of pieces of that squid at the time 
because you don't want to overfeed these fish. So I would put one squid on, then a couple of hooks with, you know, a good sized chunk, maybe either the, the mantle or the, the body or even the tentacles on, on one hook. See if they're interested then. If they're not interested, throw another squid down there because you don't want to use all of your bait in this one hole, especially if there's only five or 10 mahi that you're going to be able to pull out of there. I've pulled the uh, 33 mahi out, <clears throat> excuse me, pulled 33 mahi out in about 25 minutes with three guys on the boat. Okay. And then my other question, again, I was just a little confused by this. You come up to a, you come up to a patty or a line are you just driving to look to see if you have fish or are you putting out lines and trolling while you look to see if you have fish? No, I'm going to, I'm going to troll by just a little bit and see if I see any life. If I see life, then I will actually stop um, and put out a line or two. Uh, until then, uh, I'm not going to waste 30 minutes putting out lines, putting lines back in and things like that. Um, for the whole stop when I could be out there catching fish somewhere else. Well, man, th that all sounds good. I, if you have more to share on dropping, then I'm, I'm setting you up for that right now, or I'm setting you up to transition to trolling. And by the way, I love that in your notes on your own, you're like, Hey, let me talk about a three rod setup. And then I can talk about a five or even a five plus rod setup because you know, again, knowing my audience, man, some of them are just getting introduced and we don't want them to get frustrated. We'd rather them fish, you know, three rods right than five rods all over the place. So any final thoughts on dropping? If so, let me know. If not, let's go to trolling. No, I think uh, I think going to trolling is a great thing right now. Okay, man. T tell me what you're going to do. What? How do we go about it? All right. So um, say we get out there to where we're going to start trolling at or we found a place that we want to start trolling. Um, if you're new to trolling, uh, what I want to do is I want to make sure that I have three rods that are going to handle the trolling. I want to put out my baits that in a specific order. I want my furthest bait to go out first. Um, that bait, if I'm running a three rod setup is, is going to be, uh, you know, my, my long line, which is usually in the center. Uh, you want it as, you're only pretty far back. You want it a little bit more in that clean water after the white water that, that the boat is, is propelling behind you kind of disseminates a little bit. So you want that uh, you want that bait just past that. Let's say 60, 80 feet, if that. Um, then I want to put out my port and starboard line. <clears throat> so my line that's that's way out back usually i'm going to run something like um an islander or uh, a small chugger especially if i'm only running three lines um and i always have meat on all my lines except for my deep divers um so my deep diver is going to be i prefer to put it on my starboard side uh, that's just a preference for me um, so I'll run something like a, a DTX minnow, a small one, or even a, an X wrap, the, the, the Mahi, they just absolutely cannot get enough of the X wraps. So I like to make sure that I put those out there, um, second, because those are going to come 
a little bit deeper down in the water column. So you have something on boat, like in the center of the boat and on the, uh, the starboard side that you can actually see where the white water is not at. Now, you gotta remember when you're trolling, your, your sea conditions are gonna dictate one, how fast you can go and two, how many rods you can run. Because, you know, I run a 24 foot center console. Uh, I'm pretty steadily running seven lines off of my boat um, with, with customers on, on the boat. Um, so make sure these, these baits are tracking, they, they gotta track straight. Um, so if they're tracking straight, uh, that's when you're gonna get your bite. So on your port side, I like to run something, uh, you know, like a like either a chugger or a sea witch. Um, I like to start out with a pink. Uh, it's just personal preference. I've seen a lot more bites come off of pinks than your blues and your chartreuses and your red and blacks and things like that. So um, that's just something that I like. Um, your your speed is going to also dictate. It's going to be dictated by how the baits are tracking and how they're looking in the water. If you have a bait that is constantly popping out of the water and the, and the, the ballyhoo is turned over inside and it's just kind of fluttering across, then nothing's gonna eat it. Or if you have a, um, a, like a, a deep diver that's going from one side of the boat to the other or tracking all the way out to the side and it's turned up on its belly or it's turned up on its side and not its belly, then nothing's going to eat it because what fish swims sideways or does somersaults while you're, while you're in the ocean. Um, none that I know of, but, uh, so I let that dictate like how fast I'm going to go anywhere between four and eight knots, depending on those things. All right. So when you're running those three lines, do you have the long line up in the T top? Do you have it running right down the middle of the boat? And do you have the other rods just, you know, right last, the last rod holder on the port and the starboard? Yeah, so that, that depends on what you're comfortable with running. Because my T-top is just over hand's reach for a lot of guys to, to get to the top, uh, the top uh, rod holders. So sometimes what I like to do is I'll put those in the rod holders right behind the seat. I like them up at the top because it gives me a little bit more of line clearance and it show like I can see the line better. Um, but you know, some people can't reach it while I'm driving the boat. So I, I will move it down as for my port and starboard. The best place to put them. Yes. Is in the back right or uh, port and starboard last gunnel, but some or last rod holder in the gunnel. But sometimes, especially if you're out there by yourself and you're running three lines, you're going to put it the closest place that you can get to that's still convenient and worthwhile for the fishing. So normally I'll put those to the second one up, which is kind of right beside each side of the, the seat at the helm. And then I believe you said for the long line, you just said, I mean, I know your description about beyond the whitewater of the turbulence of the boat. And I think you said, we'll just call it 60 to 80 feet. I mean, people love specifics. They love numbers. How far back? port how far back starboard i'm you know again recognizing starboard's a deep diver so it's not just going back it's going under as well yeah so when when we're talking about um your port and starboard lines or your what we'll get into is more your outrigger lines uh we want those 
say your second wave on the face of your second wave or your third wave. And the reason we want that is because it gives you just enough line to where if that fish takes off that it's not getting in the way of like the other lines while you're trying to get them in. It also keeps that bait on the face of the, of the wave to where you can watch it and it tracks nice coming down each wave. You'll see the line disappear for just a moment while it's on the backside of the wave and then it, and then coming into the next wave. All right. I got another couple of questions. What about setting the drag? How do you have the drag set on these lines? So typically I like setting my drag, uh, and this comes from, from years of tournament fishing, at about eight pounds. Um, each, the, the difficult thing is, is each real drag tracks up at, it's not linear. So each one of them tracks up at, at a different rate. So while I move this one right here, and you can see your numbers right here, I'll set my drag, if I can see it. So right here, we got a free spool. I'll set my drag at two, and that's gonna be say eight pounds. Yet, if instead of going to three, and it say be 12 pounds, it may be 18 pounds, depending on the drag washers that are inside this. So in each reel could be different, even though they're the same make and model of reel as well. So you want to test those drags on every every one of your reels when you come back or, or before you go back out the, every time. Um, your, your drag should be set right here where it says strike. This little tag right, this little tag right here says strike. So I'm going to set my eight pounds normally to right there. By the time I push up, it's going to allow me to go to full drag and still be less than what that line that you have on there, which should be about three times what the drag strength of the reel is in pounds. So if I have a, a reel that holds 20 pounds of drag, I want 60 pound line on that reel. Okay. I follow that, Matt. Um, I also followed your conversation about um, trolling speed, but like, again, people like specifics. If conditions are great and you control at any speed you want to, what's your favorite zone? My boat does best pulling lures at about six, six and a half knots. Um, and, but you have to remember each lure is different. Some lures are made to be trolled a little bit faster. Some lures, especially when you get into your deep divers, are made to be pulled a little bit slower. Um, so I, I vary it. Uh, usually it's it's between that five and seven though that I find a happy medium. And then I guess we're talking about trolling like a grass line or trolling around patties. And so I guess my question now would be how close can we get before we're starting to get mucked up? And, you know, how do you decide which side of the grass line to troll? Well, first of all, I'm going to hit both sides of the grass line. But the place I want to start is the place, if I can get across, I'm going to go to the bluer water first. Um, and I want to stay off of that grass line enough to where it's not going to, it's not going to get that much, that many grass, that much grass in the, in the, uh, hooks so 30 yards 
those fish, they see the, the bait. They're going to come and, and get it uh, 20, 25 yards, something like that. All right, man. Well, what about, uh, I think you were setting yourself up to add outriggers into the equation. Yeah. Um, well, before I go to the outriggers, uh, let me, I'm going to go over a couple little things that I guess I should have went over at the beginning. Uh, so let's say we do hook a fish and you've got that, that mahi that's in the, the that's going to put you in the hall of fame. First thing we're going to do that, that every boater should do is hit the man overboard button. Why? Because where there's one, there's usually multiple. So either your man overboard button or you hit your mark symbol, the man overboard button actually works quicker uh, because it doesn't, it doesn't send out a beacon of where the man went overboard. But what it does is it doesn't go through, all right, name this point, you know, this, that, and the other in your, um, in your chart plotter. So you hit that man overboard, you know exactly where you were when that mahi hit that rod. So the next thing you're going to want to do is I like to keep my, my boat tracking in the direction that it was going for 15 to 30 seconds. If it's a, if it's a good size mahi and it's pulling some line, um, then I'll start slightly veering off either the, to the port or the starboard side, depending on what side that the one, the weed lines on and two, whether there's boats around, um, which way the, uh, the line is actually being pulled. So sometimes that, that mahi will get it, uh, or even, you know, going into some of the other fish, when you do the same thing with, uh, with billfish, um, they go all over the place. I mean, they're, they're in the ocean, they're going where they want. So um, the longer you can stay straight, the longer they're going to try to stay straight because you're actually pulling that hook from their mouth. Uh, once they start to veer off a little bit, you're giving them too much slack to let them do what they're, they're wanting to do. So while you're doing that, don't even, don't even get on the rod. Start reeling some of the other reels in nice and slow. If you've got, if you got a big one and you know it's a bigger one, start reeling those in a little bit nice and slow. That way you possibly can pick up that second bite or even a third because Mahi like to travel you know, bigger mahi, they'll, they'll travel in uh, with two cows or a cow to each bull. Um, and so a lot of the time I've picked up, you know, I've picked up multiples uh, within, you know, a hundred yards of each other because that cow is going to follow where the bull's going or that bull is going to follow where the cow's at because it's chasing that bait. So I like to, to make sure that I track straight for a little bit longer um, and then uh, start reeling those reels in as soon as you get those in then you can veer off to the left or right side depending on whether you picked up one of those other fish uh, or not and start actually fighting the fish uh, then's when your person can actually pick up the rod and reel and 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 really start getting into the fight sometimes that uh, that means that you're going to have to slow the boat down to almost a crawl sometimes you take the uh, the boat to the fish vice bringing the fish to the boat all right, man, that all makes sense. And then I guess if it's a smaller fish and it's not a trophy fish, then how do you play that different? <clears throat> I'm going to keep going. I mean, if it's uh, if it's even up to a 15, 20 pounder, I'm going to keep tracking. I might slow down to, let's say, five knots 
or even four knots um, because sometimes even the drop in bait from slowing down so much will attract more fish to to uh, entice them to eat the, the other baits. So I'll slow down just a little bit, but I'm gonna keep my, my, uh, my boat true exactly where I was going. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna let that person fight that fish and bring that fish to us. Um, and hopefully pick up another couple of fish at the same time. All right, man. Well, I'm glad you included that in our trolling conversation. And again, I'm not trying to push you away I just want to make sure you have an opportunity to talk about outriggers if we are going for more than three lines. Yes, we are um, definitely going for more than three lines. Um, so before we get to outriggers, some people can't afford outriggers because they're pretty expensive. So if your boat doesn't have outriggers, a lot of the boats have T-tops. If the boat has T-tops, sometimes they'll have what they call king riggers. So it'll be your two um, rod holders that are up here on top of your T-tops that face almost at a 30 degree or like a 15 degree angle upward facing out. So a lot of guys that don't have outriggers, they just use those for outriggers. So the next step, we go, we're moving from a three rod to a four rod. We're going to put two rods up there, one in the port, one in the starboard. We're going to put one in each corner gunnel, or we're going to bring one to the center and send it way out and then we're going to have it up top of the outrigger or up top of the uh t-top and then we'll have one um that's in the bottom of the t-top where the seat is and it'll be just past the whitewash maybe 15 feet so your two outriggers i would send them out to probably your third wake the face of your third wake or so and uh run something, say a chugger or a sea witch, um, anything like that, even a, uh, a daisy chain with bait on the back of it. Um, and then your center rod that's up top, I'm gonna send it way back. I'm gonna go eight wakes back, nine wakes back. I mean, you're gonna fight that fish for a minute, even if it is a smaller one. But it's also a great way to pick up things like tuna, blackfin tuna. They, they love the bait way back there by itself. So I like for those way, way backs is what I call them. Um, I like to put a bird with a small daisy chain on it. And then I'll put like a green machine. And I'll leave that just as a, a bait of its own. No, um, no meat on the bait. And then my, my short one. I'm going to take it and I'm going to run a deep diver on it because I want it below the whitewash. I want it right behind the boat because that humming noise from the boat engine is going to set, is going to get the, the fish attention. The whitewash actually looks like a bait ball above them. And then you're going to attract that fish up. And what's it going to see? It's going to see that, that deep diver right there and it's going to pounce on it. So that's how I'd run a four, four. Um, let's go from a four to a five. Now, I know we're making these small incremental changes, but if you go from a four to a five rod or even a three to a four, adding that extra rod, it gets very technical very fast because you're having to make sure that you have, you have one line at least awake ahead of it. That way, when you do turn a corner, that it's not crossing over or it needs to be underneath that line so it has to have more weight on it 
So you've got a lot of things that you have to, to take into consideration when you start getting up there and you're, you're four, five, six, and seven line. Um, so what I like to do is, is, you know, I'll put my outriggers and I have 15 foot outriggers, uh, which is kind of standard for a smaller, uh, center console boat, uh, which is going to give you about 35 to 38 feet from tip to tip. Um, so I'll run my center rigger back and I'll put it in the top and I'm going to run it way back. I'm going to run one in each gunnel. Usually those are going to be either my deep divers or I'm going to have one on a planer. So say I'll have a, a sea witch, uh, a pink or a sartreuse or a blue. I'm going to have that on a planer and it's going to be sent down 40 feet. So not only is it going to be 40 feet down, but it's probably going to be 60 or 70 feet back due, due to the blowback that's pushing that, that uh, planer down. So you have nothing to worry about with it actually getting caught up in any other line, unless on the port side, you're running a, uh, a deep diver or you're running another planer or something like that. So what I like to do is I like to run either, I like to run my port side a little bit higher in the water column. So I'm going to run it, say, five feet or 10 feet down. And then my starboard side, I'm going to run it anywhere between 20 and 40 feet down. So now we have the top. We have our uh, two down rods or our flat rods, which you could put them down as a flat line as well. And then you're going to run your outriggers. And your outriggers are going to, you know, they're going to be just like they, you know, we talked about earlier on your third wake. Um, I really have a great success rate running small chuggers in the, I don't know, four to six inch range. Um, gets that pop, goes back underwater comes up three to five seconds later again, pushes that water again, and then goes back down. It leaves that nice, beautiful smoke trail and, and fish just cannot get enough of it. Man, I believe we're at the end of this conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, man. You've made this information very approachable, very, very easy to follow, but yet full of information. I'm going to ask you one last question. Favorite time of the year to go mahi fishing out of the Swansboro area? I would say second week in May. All right. Second week in May. And then I, I lied. I actually have one more question. Um, other than mahi fishing, as we move into summer, and I'm sure you're still mahi fishing in the summer, but what else is Rig Right doing throughout the summer and into the fall? Well, you know, there's there's always the mahi around. There's always wahoo around. Black fin tuna are very prevalent during those summer months. Um, right now, you got the, the yellow fin tuna that's getting ready to just really take off. Um, and we have all the bottom fish from your trigger fish, you know, your, your big hubcaps to your black sea bass, your vermilion, your great eating fish that you just want to fill the box with. Captain Woody Dishman, Rig Right Charters out of the Swansboro area. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your insight, man. I'm pleasure to have you on the show and already looking forward to the invite back. Thank you guys. Yeah, Woody. Thank you, man. Well, there you go, Billy. If you didn't follow along, it's your fault, man. He delivered... <laughs> <laughs> Lots of info in a very approachable style. Yeah, man. It was a, it was a ton of info. I loved it. It was great. It was um uh, I got a 
you know, I don't know why I took a page full of notes. I don't, I mean, it's not like I got a boat. It's not like I'm going to go yeah, do these things, but I did. You're I took, you know, have to make a single, if you're on a Mahi trip, no one's asking you to make a single decision. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Like, why are, you, why are you taking notes? Idiot. They might even I mean, double check what you pack for lunch and what to drink. They might not even let you make that decision. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, Hey, did your mom put the sunscreen in the bag for you? <laughs> cool. Thanks. <laughs> oh man, so much, so many good takeaways. Maybe I'll have to, maybe I'll have to write a Billy's Best Takeaway book. What do you guys coffee think? Table I mean, book. Coffee table book. There, just for you guys. Um, man, a couple things I, I took away from this is one, bring in the trophy fish first. So if you hook up the okay. bigger fish, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a big one. Um, man, so many. I, I guess my, you know, one that was interesting is that I found was like the drag, not all drag is equal, even if it's in the same model of real. I thought that was kind of, cause I would have just been like, Oh, they're all the same. And the line needs to be three times the drag strength. So, um, plenty more, but yeah, I, I always think when people catch a mahi and hold it in the water, like it always blows my mind how, how that works. So it does, anyway. man. And when you're on a boat, some pe people definitely have trouble processing what I'm not bringing my fish in the boat. Like, no, you're not. But He's gonna it, hold but it. Should bring it yeah. in the boat. Like, no, you're not. Like it is. Yeah. It's funny to watch people process, you know, being told, "Nope, leave your fish in the water." <laughs> I I actually really enjoy that part of mahi fishing when you're taking someone, you know, for the first time. Yeah, man. I think I was like that when I went for the first. Time. I was like, "What? Why are we just holding this fish, dude? Let's put this thing in the box. Like, what are we doing?" And then all of a sudden, it was like this whole school of fish or herd herd of fish. He called them bulls and cows. I call it a herd. You know, just came running after it. So. Anyway, man, good show, man. That's a ton of information. So yeah, man. he uh was uh he joined us for the fishing schools. He was popular at the fishing schools, and I knew I wanted to have him on the podcast. And yeah, man, he delivered. Yeah, man. It was great. It was great. So hopefully somebody got some stuff uh, out of that. Let us know in the comments. If you did, be sure to hit that subscribe button and uh be sure to go support our sponsors, Marine Warehouse Center, always hooking it up and and taking care of us, and then Bland Landscaping Co. as well. Uh, so be sure to support them how you can. Anything else before we go, Gary? No, man. I'm enjoying the ride, enjoying talking mahi fishing, enjoying just getting ready for a productive and fun 2022 fishing season, man. I think we all are. Yeah, yeah man. It's good. And, oh, go sign up if you haven't already. Go sign up for the, uh, for the weekly inshore reports. We're having a lot of fun. Yeah, we are. All right, Gary. We'll see you in the next one, man. Fishing is up.